Okay, Genesis chapter 32, continuing the life of Jacob, Yaakov, or Yaakov sometimes, as it's pronounced in Hebrew. And we're going to look at uh, a chapter that is going to continue the struggles of Jacob. But also, we're going to see some struggling ending, which is fantastic. So we're going to see Jacob is his continued sanctification as in, the, in his walk with the Lord, he continues to grow. And so we're going to see in this chapter, refreshingly, Jacob doesn't resort to too much scheming. He's already been experiencing God, some promises that God had given to him. He'd experienced God at Bethel. He experienced God speaking to him when he was at Uncle Laban's and he wanted to leave and God reassured him, you can, you can take off now. And so he left. And he, uh, he's been experiencing lots of wonderful words from the Lord. And we, so we see him begin to grow, right? We see him a little bit less conniving more and more and more as he encounters the word of God, right? The Logos, God himself. And so it is the same for us. It should be the same for us in our walk. That as we walk with Christ, we become more sanctified. We die to self more frequently. And we don't chase our sin as often in that old nature that we want to resurrect from time to time, instead of keeping it on the cross, mortified and crucifying it. And we do that through a number of things. Um, worship is our whole life, and I'm going to get into that series next time. But um, one of the primary ways in which we do that is through the Word of God, right? And so the Word of God is the second person of the Trinity. Clearly in the New Testament, God is revealed as Jesus himself. The second person, the Son, is revealed as the Word of God. And so Jacob hears the Word of God and he grows. And so we're looking at chapter 32 now. And if you remember, Jacob is 75 years old or so. He's been serving Laban for 20 years to for his main squeeze, his main wife, Sarah. Um, and he ends up with Leah, you remember, and, and some Maid servants. Rachel. Did I say Sarah? How in my head? How in my head can I see R A C H E L and it come out Sarah? Thank you. So it is Rachel. Yes, that's Sarah. I don't know how that happens. It's getting, I'm getting old. I do it more often. It's frustrating. Anyway, thank you. So yes, yeah, so he gets Rachel and um, Leah and and some of the other maid servants and so on and so forth. And, and so he's struggling all these years. And so we see Jacob as this really strong guy, and we see a lot of his strength exemplified in the past. And we're going to see his strength exemplified in this chapter as well, especially when we get to the middle part of this chapter when he wrestles with God himself, which is a really odd account in Scripture. And there's not a lot of details that God gives us in this account. So it's one of these things we just, okay, this is the sentence here. This is the verse. This is what it says. I believe it. I can't fully make sense of it. However, we just got to go, okay, this is what the Bible says. I'm waiting for more information later on. But we see him literally wrestling with God himself. And the word wrestled is a really interesting word. It is a bach. And it's related to the river where a wadi or a ford that he's going to cross this people called Jabbok, which means wrestler as well. And so there's a really fun play on words, and I'll get into that in a little bit more detail if we have time later on. But there's this whole play on words, and, and Jacob means supplanter or heel catcher or deceiver. Even his word Yaakov or Yaakov in Hebrew is really similar to uh, Jabbok 
and some of these other words um, that uh, is all related. So it's this plan words is phenomenal. And we, there's so much in this chapter that it'd be really fun from a literal perspective to spend literally hours and hours looking at all the interplay of all these words like Mahanaim and Peniel and Jacob's name being changed to Israel and Bethel and all these really cool things. I'm not going to get into all of those, but we'll see as time goes how much time I'll be able to spend on some of those details. So anyway, here we have Jacob. He's he's left Laban now. Laban has not is not going to kill him like he intended to. Um, if remember, Laban was chasing him because uh, his one of the excuses he gave was they stole his idols. His, we find out that his daughter Rachel stole the idols called the Teraphim. And so he wanted to kill Jacob because of that. And um, God speaks to Laban, remember? And says, don't touch him, don't say a bad word about him. And so God spares the life of Jacob. Now, Jacob's blessed with, with numerous um, hundreds of goats and female goats and calves and bulls and donkeys and all of this cattle from the work that he did for his father-in-law, if you remember correctly. And so he's traveling on the way to where God told him to go, which is back to Canaan, which is going to be changed to the name of Israel quite soon. So he's traveling on the way, and we're going to see where um, Jacob is thinking, okay, finally I'm free from this struggle. I'm going to go back to the promised land where God promised to me through um, Abraham and my father Isaac and spoke to me directly that my my offspring is offspring is going to be as numerous as the sand of the sea. And so there appears to be in Jacob's life here this kind of thing. At 75 years old, he's kind of tired of scheming, kind of tired of deceiving. And our lives, have you ever noticed that our sin can catch up with us sometimes where you're just like, I just, I'm so sick of sin. I hate this. Why do I keep going this direction? And, and God gets us to a place where we recognize how miserable it is. And it's like just losing the desire for it. And it's almost like this is where Jacob is, is coming from. He's tired of the struggles, tired of trying to get an angle. And, and we can see a prayer here when he is in panic because of his brother Esau, who he hasn't seen in 20 years. Now, if you remember, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. And so he fled. Remember, his mom <clears throat> told Jacob, flee, because Esau is going to want to kill you. So that's when he takes off to go see Laban. So he's going to leave, and he, he's going to run into Esau. He's freaked out. And then we see this wonderful prayer that we're going to look at of Jacob and how he, he's so humble before the Lord. And then after this prayer, we see this, this uh, practical thing that Jacob's going to set up to be safe from the threatenings of his brother. And at that point, he, uh, uh, an angel, he actually sees angels. And then the angel of the Lord, God himself, the second person in the Trinity, the Logos appears to Jake, and that's when he begins to wrestle literally with God all night long for a full night. And then we're going to see this wonderful, incredible, interesting, fascinating thing happening here. And this unique paradox in which God is wrestling with Jacob. And he allows Jacob to get into a position where he, he's going to win. He's about to submit God himself as he's wrestling all night long. And just before he's about to win, and he tells God, I am not letting go of you until you bless me, then God reaches down and he takes Jacob's hip right out of the socket and gives him a limp. And so it's this really strange paradox because how could he possibly be God? Of course he can't be God. And yet God allowed him in his human form. 
as a theophany, which is the appearance of God in human flesh, specifically a Christophany, when Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, it reveals himself in the form of a man. So here we see a Christophany of God himself taking on flesh. And we don't know the extent to that flesh. However, it was certainly the flesh in the sense that you could wrestle with him. And there was a degree to which he was limited. He limited himself in this flesh. And so we see Jake wrestling with God. And we're going to see this as an analogy to, to how we and our flesh will fight against God. And yet God's always going to have the victory. And even in fighting against God in our flesh, there's also an aspect to which Jacob is fighting against, fighting for a blessing from God. So he's actually fighting against circumstances that would prevent him from receiving the blessing that God had promised to him. And so this is part of our struggle as Christians. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and powers and, and, and principalities and powers and wickedness and high places. Um, but we ha- and that's what Ephesians 6 says, put the full armor of God. We see uh, Paul talking about a boxing match. In our, in our struggle against sin. We see the analogy of a race in, in the scripture. And so all through scripture, we see this battle that takes place. And so in this battling, Jacob is battling God. <laughs> well, he, is, he is wrestling with, with God himself, but he's doing so based upon faith. He's believing God's promises. And it's the same battle that we engender every day. We're in the battle. We are not immune from it. You know, we were talking about this stuff earlier, the craziness in our society today and our jobs and how, how do we react when people insist on us calling them by a pronoun that they prefer that is just clearly we can't do as Christians, right? We're going to be losing our jobs more and more as we're in the marketplace. That's a real battle. That's a real struggle. And so as we see this battle, we see the struggle, we see the fight, and we see the strength of Jacob in faith, we see something really encouraging coming out of that. And I'm, we're also going to look at maybe a couple of scriptures that talk about, or I'll just probably mention them, some people in scripture that fought in faith. Epaphras is a guy probably a lot of people forget about. He's mentioned in Paul's letter, I think it's in Ephesians. And Epaphras, Paul mentions him and says, Epaphras has labored fervently in prayer for you. It's just a short little verse. And I love that one. He's laboring fervently. He's a fighter like Jacob. He's hold, He's fighting and coming to the throne of God and fighting on his knees in prayer for his fellow believers. And so we see um, in, in Scripture, we see Noah as a fighter, basically. He's building this ark for 100 years with his sons, right? We see um, all through Scripture, the prophets fighting against the false prophets that were saying they're speaking an evil message. We see um, the battle that Peter and the disciples had as they were sent out as sheep among wolves. We see all the battle that Stephen was, was part of when he was stoned to death as he declared that Christ was the one whom they had murdered and spoke of his resurrection. And all of, and all of this wrestling and battle, God had promised that there was going to be blessing through it. And so what I want to encourage us as we're looking at this today is that one of the practical things I look at is that Brothers and sisters, we do not have an option of fighting. <laughs> we are fighting, no matter what, every day against the enemy. Are we going to take it head on with all of the gifts that God has given us and the full armor ba- battle armor that God gives us in Ephesians 6? Or are we going to kind of rest in our laurels and let the enemy beat us? 
Because that's happening to a lot of Christians. How does the enemy beat us? By giving into temptation, by pursuing our sin, by not making our homes embassies of God, by husbands not leading our wives properly, by wives not holding up our husband's hands so they can, you can submit to them as they lead properly, by fathers, are you establishing a solid Christian home to raise your children in? You know, mothers, the same thing. This is the wrestle, wrestling match that we have. Noah was faithful in, in Genesis chapter 6 when the Bible says God found him righteous and his family was saved with him. He was faithful to build that ark and he saved his family through the deluge through God's wrath. And that's an aspect that we don't often focus on too much, I think, as Christians because we're afraid sometimes to place an emphasis on works in the sense that we say our works will have fruit. If we are raising godly children at home, if we're raising godly church members, we should expect to have victory over sin and victory over the world. We should expect that. Okay, It shouldn't be a life of, oh, woe is me, it's another struggle with sin that I'm going to lose today. You know, It should not be our attitude. We need to have one of victory like Jacob did in strength and in faith. So having said that, let's plug in the details here in Genesis chapter 32. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Now, angels is another word. It could be also translated messengers. So messengers of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And so Mahanaim means the God's place, so God, where God meets us. So here we see God ministering to Jacob as he has been semi-frequently in one sense. So Jacob's fearful. He's leaving Uncle Laban, and he God blesses him on his way. And I'd like to look at this metaphorically as well. He's on his way to sanctification. He's on his way and walking in the promises of God. God sends angels of God to meet him, to minister to him with a, with a message of, of encouragement. And it's the same thing with us in our walk. And Jacob sees them, and he you can see him, it's an exclamation point for a reason because it's, an, it's a, emphasized here. It's an imperative. So he raises his hands and thanks the Lord for this encouragement. And he calls the name of the place Mahanaim because not only mean, it means two camps as well, by the way. So we have Mahanaim, two camps. And we see three sets of two camps. The, the two camps represented are Esau's camp and his servants and all the cattle he has. He has. And Jacob, and that's one, those are two camps in this area here. And then we see the other camp are the angels of God and God himself and Jacob. Those are other two camps that are in this area. And then we see Jacob later on in verse 10 that says he has two camps in which he divides his people. So there's this interesting um, occurrence of the number two that pops up in this, this chapter. So, and then verse three. Now, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir. Now, Jacob is traveling southwest to get to the land of Canaan, by the way, okay? So he's traveling southwest. He's coming to the land of Seir, where his brother, um, in the country of Edom, where his brother Esau is. And he, is, he instructs his messengers. So Jacob tells them, he says, Thus shall you say to, now notice this word, my lord Esau, Thus says your servant, Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and I've stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, 
flocks, male servants, and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord, again, a reference to Esau, in order that I may find favor in your sight. This is so interesting because was who is supposed to serve Jacob, his brother Esau, right? All the blessings had gone to Jacob, and yet we see Jacob, instead of Esau now, acting humble, humbly before his brother. Now, there is the charge that could be brought that Jacob is scheming again by sending his servants to say, I'm your, I'm your servant. But I don't see this in the text, and we're going to look at this prayer to understand this context here. It just seems to me that the Lord is really breaking through to Jacob and really breaking him down. As a matter of fact, in this chapter, we're going to see six instances in which Jacob uses the word um, his servant or his, his uh, brother being uh, his Lord over him. And uh, one, one interesting thing about, about this is, is the, um, <laughs> the irony here is that Jacob is beginning to walk in the full blessing of inheriting the blessing from Yahweh as well as the blessing from his father Isaac. And as he's walking into this full blessing, as he's getting these, these gifts that God had given through Laban, he's becoming rich, and he's about to enter in the promised land. The first thing he does, just about to enter in as he crosses his ford, is to say he's serving his brother, the one who he is going to lord it over, is going to, to be um, the, the, he took the blessings from. Now look what happens with these messengers. Okay, and the messengers returned back to Jacob, and they said, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. And then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So he is panicked. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps. Remember, this is Machanaim. Into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So now this is interesting because going back to chapter 27 in Genesis, I'm going to read it. Uh, in verse, verses 39 and 40, Isaac is prophesying, and this is what he says. He says, um, in verse 39, then, his, then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. He's talking about Esau. And away from the dew of heaven on high, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So that prophecy that Isaac had uttered about breaking the yoke from the neck of Esau, in which Jacob is actually going to, is not going to cause Esau to serve him, is this taking place right now? So here we see this this uh, prophecy coming to pass right before our eyes. Um, in verse nine now, and Jacob said, "Oh God, here's this wonderful prayer." Okay, and look at the humility. Of Jacob here. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. He had just spoken this to, to um, Jacob just a, a few weeks earlier. I am not worthy of the least of all of the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. With, for with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. So here he has this beautiful prayer 
of humility. And he starts by exalting God and what he's done for him. When he says in verse 10, he says, I am not worthy. The literal translation could also come from the Hebrew as I am little. So he says, I am little. I am not worthy of all the deeds of your steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. This is so wonderful. Again, you, you kind of hear Jacob like he's panicked. He's in fear. And then he goes to the promises that God had given him. He exalts God, praises him, says, God, I don't deserve any of this. I am a little man. I'm like a little stone. I'm, I'm reduced to nothing. I'm not worthy. And yet you've given me so much. When I came in this direction, under the, the, God, under the uh, guidance of my mother to find a wife, I had just a staff when I crossed the Jordan. I had a staff and only a promise that you were going to bless me. And I have now become two camps. I have got all these maidservants and men servants now and all this cattle. And in verse 11, and this, here's his petition. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. From the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me. The mothers with the children. But you said, but you said, I will surely do you good, and I will make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So here Jacob is exalting God. He's humbled. He brings a petition. And then he tells, he speaks back to God in prayer what God says. And he tells him, and he's quoting what God had said to him in Genesis chapter 28, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to read that one. Just a couple of verses. 28, 13, and 14. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, this is during Jacob's dream. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So he's going back to what the promises of God. And we as Christians, this is a wonderful thing for us to do when we come into a place of panic and distress, right? We go right to God's word, right to what God has said. And having said that, let's look at Psalm chapter 18, because it's just a, a wonderful one that we're all familiar with. Only six verses long. And this is just a great Psalm of the declaration of God being our strength, God being our deliverer, and these are one, this is one of those psalms that if you don't have memorized, you probably should, or turn to it often when you're in distress. Yeah, or we'll only read the first six, excuse me. I'm sorry, it's, it's longer than six verses, but I'm only going to read the first six. Um, so D David wrote this one, and uh, it's, it's going to be familiar to many of us, and there's a couple of great songs that are written to this. But I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my strength, of my, excuse me, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his 
ears. Don't you love how God's characterized here with ears in his temple and just a God who loves us as um, Jacob had declared that of his steadfast love and the faithfulness that God had shown him and that our God is not just distant. He's not just some piece of wood or gold or silver or stone that Rachel was, may have been praying to or may at this very point in time while Jacob is petitioning God, she might be calling on her false gods and her idols, the teraphim that she had hid in her saddlebags. And yet Jacob in his distress is calling out to the Lord. The Lord is going to minister to him in a powerful way. And God has ministered to us in an incredibly powerful way. We have so much more than Jacob ever had. Look at this revelation of who God is. Look at the beauty that we read in David's poetry and God being our salvation. And so here, um, again, when we are troubled, just kind of stand on the promises of God. So here's Jacob. He's repeating to God this exaltation. He's petitioning God. He's standing on these promises, and he's asking God to strengthen him. At the same time, he's practical and thinking, okay, I sent servants ahead, and, and it looks like my brother's probably going to try, try and kill me. So what can I do to keep the peace? But notice in this text, we don't see anything against Jacob like he's scheming to try to get something from his brother. He seems to be resting in God's promises. Now he's resting in faith, even though his emotions are pulling him another way, right? Because he is panicked and distressed. So verse 13, so he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And these he handed over to his servants. So they're speaking of Jacob's servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. So again, these are two camps here, okay? And he instructed the first and said, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong and where are you going and whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. So he sends him ahead with this gift, his servants and all of these camels and so on and so forth, while he stays behind, praying and probably just seeking the Lord. And he also encountered these mess, these angels of God with him there as well. And we don't have to assume that they just showed up and left. They could have been there the whole time, ministering to Jacob. And so here's Jacob waiting to see what's going to happen. And look at verse 22 now. The same night he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children. Uh, we learn later that Dina or Dinah is included here as well. Okay, but it's not mentioned uh, here. She's one of the 12. And crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Now Jabbok in the Hebrew is wrestler. The ford was also, in the Hebrew, was also called a wadi. And these wadis were areas that were um, generally shallower creeks. 
But in flood times, uh, when water would come from the mountains, they would flood and they would create these incredible gushing rivers in which you could actually drown in them. And so here he is at this, the river or the creek or the ford Jabbok. And he took them and then he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. So Jacob sends his wives, his children ahead, and then he leaves them alone as he stays behind. Now, I've always read this really critical of Jacob. It's like, what a pansy. How come he didn't go in front to fight for his family? Well, actually, we learn later on in chapter 33 that he actually does go ahead of them. So he doesn't completely abandon them. He does send them out first, but for some reason he delays. There's something happening here where where Jacob is probably communing with God or just waiting on the Lord for something because he, he wasn't really um, abandoning his family and like hopefully they get killed and I'll be okay. And look at um, in verse 24. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So this is crazy. A man, so Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Who initiates this encounter? This man. Jacob didn't go looking after some guy to wrestle him. This guy comes to him and wrestles with him. Now, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of the joint as he wrestled with him. Now, Hosea Chapter 12, you can turn there if you'd like. I think you guys have your finger there. I'm going to read just a few verses out of chapter 12, because this is a commentary on Jacob. How me to turn my pages in this Bible? That's page 1,200. <laughs> there we go. Hosea chapter 12, starting in verse I'm just going to read a few verses. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. And in the womb, notice this, he took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial Name. So you, by the help of your God, return and hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. So here Hosea is making a commentary that Jacob wrestled not just with a man, but with God himself. And in tears, he prevailed and sought the promises of God. And so this gives a greater insight into what's happening here, that this was not just any mere man. And we're going to read later in Jacob's confession that he speaks of wrestling with God because he calls the name of the place Peniel, which means I saw God face to face. So here we have this incredible instance of Jacob wrestling with a Christophany, okay? A a um, pre-incarnate form of God himself, of the second person of the Trinity, in which he wrestles with a man. Now again, there's... There's not a lot of details we have here. So I want to be careful not to add too much to the text. There's been all kinds of fanciful interpretations and things given to this, and I don't feel any need to get into some of that craziness. 
But what we see clearly is that this angel or that we learn later from Hosea, or this man who is wrestling Jacob, um, they're going at it back and forth. Look at this, look what it says here in verse 24. Uh, the man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And so one thing to remember about Jacob, he's 75 years old. He was he was still as tough as nails. If you remember Jacob, he was characterized by in, in his natural self as a strong guy. He grabbed his brother coming out of the womb, grabbed him by the heel, if you remember. He when he met Rachel, he rolled the stone away that probably other people needed help to roll away when he went to feed Rachel's uh, roll it away from the, the well when Rachel came with her flock to water them. And he also um 20 years of hard service at 55 to 75, he's serving his, his uncle Laban for the, his wife. So he was a strong guy. And so he literally is wrestling all night long at 75, which is amazing. And so they're wrestling back and forth to see who can get the position of superiority to either choke the guy out so he passes out, or the other guy completely gives up. Jacob's not giving up. Obviously, God can White destroy him in a, in a, with a, a, this breath of his coming, like it says in Thessalonians, right? Or he could just with his eyes of fire burn to death or whatever, however God wanted to do it. And yet God in his sovereignty had chosen to show this battle that is Jacob going to persevere in one sense in prayer and persevere in his walk and persevere in fighting against the world and fighting against the things that would challenge us to not walk in faith, not to walk and serve God, even though we encounter challenging circumstances. I don't want to read this too much. Don't Please don't judge me too harshly for this. However, we're recognizing that Jacob is holding on in faith because he says, I am not. Look, at, let's read further. Then he said, verse 26, then he said, let me go for the day has broken. This is God himself speaking to Jacob. you know. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob knows there's something unique about this, and I don't see any reason to not believe that Jacob doesn't recognize this as, in some way, Yahweh, okay? He wouldn't probably recognize him clearly, obviously, as a second person in the Trinity because the progressive revelation of God's character and his nature comes later on. But he recognizes that this is an angel of the Lord, the very least that he encountered at Bethel and in his dream, but he certainly knows that this is someone who can bless him. And so he doesn't prevail against Jacob in, in verse uh, 25. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was, hip was put out of the joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unless you bless me. He is not letting go until he sees the promises of God fulfilled in his life. And this is, again, the tenacity of Jacob. And it's fantastic. And one thing about this text is we're looking at, again, Jacob's not resorting to his uh, scheming ways. He's just like holding on, you know. And he's at this point where he's about to submit God himself. And God just simply reaches out, removes his hip from out of the place, and ends the match. Well, basically. But it doesn't end without God walking away and blessing him. And the circumstances that we run into that can be very challenging, that cause us to really stand in faith, are not circumstances that happen happenstancely. <laughs> they are circumstances that Jesus Christ, that God, that Yahweh himself, has placed in our lives to develop our faith and to develop our wrestling, spiritual wrestling muscles.
When we run into circumstances in our neighborhoods, our jobs, our wives, our husbands, struggle with our children, no matter what it is, God has done that and purposefully in his plans has orchestrated these very things so that we would grow in faith. Because as Jacob stands here and won't walk away, and he's faithful to get a blessing from God, we're going to watch him walk away with great joy, and we're going to see an incredible circumstance take place in the next chapter. Look at verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? Kind of reminds me of God speaking to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when he, when he asked them, he goes, what have you done? Where are you? You know, and he wants to hear a response from them. Obviously, he knows Jacob's name. And when Jacob says his name, there has to be some degree of humility at this point. I'm, I'm the hill country. I'm the deceiver. I'm the tricky guy. <laughs> and he's, he says, Jacob. Then he says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, which means a fighter with God. <laughs> this is just incredible. So he calls him a fighter with God. Not a fighter for God, a fighter with God. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. He prevailed not by the work of his flesh, but literally prevailed because of the work of faith that was implanted in him by God speaking to him clearly. So the victory belongs to the Lord, yet Jacob was faithful to walk out his salvation with fear and trembling, as we've been all called to do that. We can't just rest by knowing we're born again and just rest in that and never have any actions accompany the faith that we say we have. We rest in what Christ has done, but we also continue in the wrestling in the battle. And in verse 29, uh, verse 29, uh, then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. This is incredible. He literally wrestled with God face to face. Now, when God appeared to Moses, if you remember, God said, Moses said, God, show me your glory. And God said, I can't, I can't do that. I'll turn my back to you. And then you will see that. And so here Christ now is, is wrestling with um, Jacob face to face in a Christophany. So it's not the full revelation of God. It's not the full Godhead himself. Yet it's Christ as a Christophany. And is, as we see this head to head with Jacob again, it, to me, it really stood out. That Jacob is not playing heel catcher, deceiver, supplanter. He's just going at it head to head. And when you're wrestling, if you guys have ever been at a wrestling match or, or watch it, man, you're tied up with a guy, you're ear to ear. And now I did a couple of wrestling matches. I'm older, and you're wrestling guys with beards. It's weird because you got this guy's beard scratching your face. We're going to be wrestling this weekend, right, Luke? And I can't wait to throw some people around. But anyway, it's like you're really intimate, man. Not in a weird way, but, <laughs> but you're so close. So here Jacob is close face-to-face -face with God, and it's a battle. Man, you can, Jacob can hear God panting. God can hear Jacob panting. And it's like, <gasps> and you're just working as hard as you can. And you, you know, it's like, it's so intimate. It's like incredible that God is doing this with Jacob to work out Jacob's um, sanctification. And then in verse uh, 31 now, the sun rose upon him as as he uh, passed uh, Peniel or Penuel, there's two different ways of spelling it, by the way. In, in your Bibles, it might be spelled the same. And this uh, translation, they chose to translate it with just a little bit different uh, 
it switched out the eye for the you. Anyway, um, and the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the, the you know, God himself, Jesus, the second person, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And just read a couple of verses in the 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, and then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. And he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So here we see Jacob, not necessarily the fearful guy, that he was in the beginning when he, when he spoke to God. Not the deceiver and supplanter. How could I t turn this to somehow get my brother to not kill me? He, he appears to be a guy who wrestled with God. God put his hip on a joint. He gave him an affliction. He humbled him. He seven times bows to the ground before his brother, even though God had declared that his brother would be the one serving him. And he's just forward face to face with God, forward with his brother Esau. And then we're going to see from here on out, Jacob being much more faithful in the next few chapters in his life that's happening. And so um, just kind of conclude right there. You know, when we look at this, again, at this, this uh, instance here, at this account, um, all kinds of challenging things that we don't have to go into. Like how does God do all the things he's doing with this wrestling match? But the, the bottom line is this, is that God had set up for Jacob to have a limp possibly the rest of his life as a reminder that Jacob cannot possibly serve God in his flesh. His flesh is going to fail him, but he can only serve God and receive the blessings of God from holding on in faith. And so we have two victors here in this chapter. The first victor is Jesus himself, of course. Christ is our victor. He defeated death. He's going to finally put an end to it completely. He defeated our depravity. He beat death for us to such a degree that we no longer have to taste death, but we're going to be changed like 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. He beat our free will, <laughs> our free will being bent on sin and pursuing all of our desires. He destroyed that with his irresistible grace that came to us and showed us how beautiful he is how mighty he is, and we saw the glimpse of who Christ is, and we're like, how, who, who, else, who else shall we go? Like Peter said, you have the words of life. And so he gave us the victory because he's the victor himself. Now the other victor here is Jacob. Jacob experienced victory because he was truly faithful to stand in faith. And we as Christians, it's okay and it's important that we can say, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to have victory today. I'm going to wake up today. I'm going to have victory over my sin. I'm going to have victory over the battles with the world. I'm going to have victory over my temptation to shut up when the opportunity comes to proclaim the gospel. You know, I'm going to have victory over laziness. I'm going to have victory over whatever easily besetting sin that comes upon us. But we need to do that in a wrestling match. It's not easy, right? It just isn't. It's not easy. Now, there are times when God in his grace does things that are just incredible, where it's like not even a fight. It's like there's like hardly a temptation. We just kind of coast through, and it's like, wow, this is amazing. There are times where it's like you have to work really hard at it. But the bottom line is that all of us, in our sanctification, we have to choose to die to self daily. We have to choose to hold on to faith and the promises that God has given us. So um, this concludes Genesis chapter 32. And uh, 
it's going to be really good as Tim goes into chapter 33 to look at this reunion with a brother who is not going to kill his brother <laughs> or his his uh, sister-in-laws and so on and so forth or his nephews and niece. Um, this is really good to see this fruit. So let's let's uh, close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the promises uh, that you've given us, that we are more than conquerors through you who strengthen us. We thank you that you will uh, defeat death completely so that we won't experience the sting of it any longer, the bitterness of it, of the grave. We thank you that you love us and care for us so deeply as Jacob confessed your steadfast love to him, your faithfulness, as David confessed in Psalm chapter 18. As we read in, in multitudes of, of scriptures, the grace and love that you have for us, the fact that you wrestled with Jacob face to face, that you um, came debt to earth for 33 years and experienced all the sufferings and trials that this earth would bring. And yet you did so without uh, failing, Lord, in, uh, in sin. And you completely uh, lived the life that we couldn't do it and lived the life that we couldn't live. And we thank you so much for modeling, Lord, that for us. But, but just to see your intimacy, your love, and your care for us. And we thank you for all these wonderful promises in the scripture. We pray we'd be victorious over sin victorious over our flesh, victorious over the world as we stand upon your promises and faith. Thank you, Lord. Amen.